The Valley of Childish Things and Other Emblems by Edith Wharton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Corrie Samuel. 1. Once upon a time, a number of children lived together in the Valley of Childish Things playing all manner of delightful games, and studying the same lesson-books. But one day a little girl, one of their number, decided that it was time to see something of the world about which the lesson-books had taught her, and as none of the other children cared to leave their games, she set out alone to climb the pass which led out of the valley. It was a hard climb, but at length she reached a cold, bleak tableland beyond the mountains. Here she saw cities and men, and learned many useful arts, and in so doing grew to be a woman. But the table-land was bleak and cold, and when she had served her apprenticeship she decided to return to her old companions in the Valley of Childish Things, and work with them instead of with strangers. It was a weary way back, and her feet were bruised by the stones, and her face was beaten by the weather but halfway down the pass she met a man who kindly helped her over the roughest places. Like herself he was lame and weather-beaten, but as soon as he spoke she recognised him as one of her old playmates. He too had been out in the world, and was going back to the valley, and on the way they talked together of the work they meant to do there. He had been a dull boy, and she had never taken much notice of him, but as she listened to his plans for building bridges and draining swamps and cutting roads through the jungle, she thought to herself, since he has grown into such a fine fellow, what splendid men and women my other playmates must have become! But what was her surprise to find, on reaching the valley, that her former companions, instead of growing into men and women, had all remained little children? Most of them were still playing the same old games, and the few who affected to be working were engaged in such strenuous occupations as building mud-pies and sailing paper-boats in basins. As for the lad who had been the favourite companion of her studies, he was playing marbles with all the youngest boys in the valley. At first the children seemed glad to have her back, but soon she saw that her presence interfered with their games, and when she tried to tell them of the great things that were being done on the tableland beyond the mountains, they picked up their toys, and went farther down the valley to play. Then she turned to her fellow-traveller, who was the only grown man in the valley, but he was on his knees before a dear little girl with blue eyes and a coral necklace, for whom he was making a garden out of cockle-shells and bits of glass, and broken flowers stuck in sand. The little girl was clapping her hands and crowing—she was too young to speak articulately and when she who had grown to be a woman laid her hand on the man's shoulder, and asked him if he did not want to set to work with her building bridges, draining swamps, and cutting roads through the jungle, he replied that at that particular moment he was too busy. And, as she turned away, he added in the kindest possible way, "'Really, my dear, you ought to have taken better care of your complexion.'" Two. There was once a maiden lady who lived alone in a commodious brick-house facing north and south. The lady was very fond of warmth and sunshine, but unfortunately her room was on the north side of the house, so that in winter she had no sun at all. This distressed her so much, that after long deliberation 
she sent for an architect, and asked him if it would be possible to turn the house around so that her room should face the south. The architect replied that anything could be done for money, but the estimated cost of turning the house around was so high that the lady, who enjoyed a handsome income, was obliged to reduce her way of living and sell her securities at a sacrifice to raise money enough for the purpose. At length, however, the house was turned around, and she felt almost consoled for her impoverishment by the first ray of sunlight which stole through her shutters the next morning. That very day she received a visit from an old friend who had been absent a year, and this friend, finding her seated at her window in a flood of sunlight, immediately exclaimed, "'My dear, how sensible of you to have moved into a south room! I never could understand why you persisted so long in living on the north side of the house.' and the following day the architect sent in his bill. 3. There was once a little girl who was so very intelligent that her parents feared that she would die. But an aged aunt, who had crossed the Atlantic in a sailing vessel, said, "'My dears, let her marry the first man she falls in love with, and she will make such a fool of herself that it will probably save her life.' Four. A thinly clad man, who was trudging afoot through a wintry and shelterless region, met another wrapped in a big black cloak. The cloak hung heavily on its wearer, and seemed to drag him back, but at least it kept off the cold. "'That's a fine warm cloak you've got,' said the first man, through his chattering teeth. "'Oh,' said the other, "'it's none of my choosing, I promise you. It's only my old happiness dyed black and made over into a sorrow but in this weather a man must wear what he's got." "'To think of some people's luck,' muttered the first man, as the other passed on. Now I never had enough happiness to make a sorrow out of." 5. There was once a man who married a sweet little wife, but when he set out with her from her father's house he found that she had never been taught to walk. They had a long way to go and there was nothing for him to do but to carry her, and as he carried her she grew heavier and heavier. Then they came to a wide, deep river, and he found that she had never been taught to swim. So he told her to hold fast to his shoulder, and started to swim with her across the river. And as he swam she grew frightened, and dragged him down in her struggles. And the river was deep and wide, and the current ran fast, and once or twice she nearly had him under but he fought his way through, and landed her safely on the other side, and behold, he found himself in a strange country, beyond all imagining delightful. And as he looked about him and gave thanks, he said to himself, Perhaps if I hadn't had to carry her over, I shouldn't have kept up long enough to get here myself. 6. A soul once cowered in a grey waste, and a mighty shape came by. Then the soul cried for help, saying, Shall I be left to perish alone in this desert of unsatisfied desires? But you are mistaken, the shape replied. This is the land of gratified longings. And moreover you are not alone, for the country is full of people, but whoever tarries here grows blind. 7. There was once a very successful architect who made a great name for himself. At length he built a magnificent temple, to which he devoted more time and thought 
than to any of the other buildings he had erected, and the world pronounced it his masterpiece. Shortly afterward he died, and when he came before the judgment angel he was not asked how many sins he had committed, but how many houses he had built. He hung his head and said more than he could count. The judgment angel asked what they were like, and the architect said that he was afraid they were pretty bad. "'And are you sorry?' asked the angel. "'Very sorry,' said the architect, with honest contrition. "'And how about that famous temple that you built just before you died?' the angel continued. "'Are you satisfied with that?' "'Oh, no!' the architect exclaimed. "'I really think it has some good points about it. I did try my best, you know. But there's one dreadful mistake that I'd give my soul to go back and rectify." "'Well,' said the angel, "'you can't go back and rectify it, but you can take your choice of the following alternatives. Either we can let the world go on thinking your temple a masterpiece, and you the greatest architect that ever lived, or we can send to earth a young fellow we've got here, who will discover your mistake at a glance, and point it out so clearly to posterity that you'll be the laughing-stock of all succeeding generations of architects. Which do you choose?" "'Oh, well,' said the architect, "'if it comes to that, you know, as long as it suits my clients as it is, I really don't see the use of making such a fuss.'" 8. A man once married a charming young person, who agreed with him on every question. At first they were very happy, for the man thought his wife the most interesting companion he had ever met and they spent their days telling each other what wonderful people they were. But by and by the man began to find his wife rather tiresome. Wherever he went she insisted upon going, whatever he did she was sure to tell him that it would have been better to do the opposite. And moreover it gradually dawned upon him that his friends had never thought so highly of her as he did. Having made this discovery he naturally felt justified in regarding himself as the aggrieved party. She took the same view of her situation, and their life was one of incessant recrimination. Finally, after years spent in violent quarrels and short-lived reconciliations, the man grew weary, and decided to divorce his wife. He engaged an able lawyer, who assured him that he would have no difficulty in obtaining a divorce, but, to his surprise, the judge refused to grant it. "'But,' said the man, and he began to recapitulate his injuries. "'That's all very true,' said the judge, "'and nothing would be easier than for you to obtain a divorce if you had only married another person.' "'What do you mean by another person?' asked the man in astonishment. "'Well,' replied the judge, "'it appears that you inadvertently married yourself. That is a union no court has the power to dissolve.' "'Oh,' said the man, and he was secretly glad, for in his heart he was already longing to make it up again with his wife. 9. There was once a gentleman who greatly disliked to assume any responsibility. Being possessed of ample means and numerous poor relatives, he might have indulged a variety of tastes, and even a few virtues, but since there is no occupation that does not bring a few cares in its train, this gentleman resolutely refrained from doing anything. He ceased to visit his old mother, who lived in the country, because it made him nervous to catch the train. He subscribed to no charities, because it was a bother to write the cheques. He received no visits, because he did not wish to be under the obligation of returning them. 
He invited no guests to stay with him, for fear of being bored before they left. He gave no presents, because it was so troublesome to choose them. Finally, he even gave up asking his friends to dine, because it was such a nuisance to tell the cook that they were coming. This gentleman took an honest pride in his complete detachment from the trivial importunities of life, and was never tired of ridiculing those who complained of the weight of their responsibilities, justly remarking that if they really wished to be their own masters, they had only to follow his example. One day, however, one of his servants carelessly left the front door open, and Death walked in unannounced, and begged the gentleman to come along as quickly as possible, as there were a good many more people to be called for that afternoon. "'But I can't,' cried the gentleman, in dismay. "'I really can't, you know. I—why, I have asked some people to dine with me this evening.' "'That's a little too much,' said Death. And the devil carried the gentleman off in a big black bag. 10. There was once a man who had seen the Parthenon, and he wished to build his god a temple like it. But he was not a skilful man, and, try as he would, he could produce only a mud hut thatched with straw, and he sat down and wept because he could not build a temple for his god. But one who passed by said to him, "'There are two plights worse than yours. One is to have no god, the other is to build a mud hut and mistake it for the Parthenon." End of The Valley of Childish Things and Other Emblems by Edith Wharton